Probably science. I am Andy Wood, joined by Jesse Case. Hello. And Matt Kirshen. Hey. And we're all back together for the first the, time. The in, boys are back in town. A month? It's yeah. Been a solid month. You were back in Nashville. All over the place, all buddy. Over the country. All over the place. You almost froze to death in a car. <clears throat> almost died in the polar vortex. <laughs> Which we debunked last week, but okay, it was cold. It was cold. Yeah. Yeah. We uh, debunked it being the polar vortex. We didn't debunk it being cold. <laughs> no, like, it wasn't cold. I've was proven that. that it wasn't actually cold. No, it was very cold. It was very cold. It was negative 30 Fahrenheit in Kansas. My car broke down in the middle of nowhere. Like I said, Kansas. And when you say broke down... I ran out of gas. But, <laughs> look, I should have... I, I like, I like that, I should that have planned though. the gas more properly. I should have known yeah. to put gas in the car. Maybe when you're driving across the plain states... You know, and it says next service is 150 miles. Just was it really that far? Yeah. Wow. Maybe fill up first. But I'm, you know, and I'm an opt- I'm an opt- I'm trying to be more optimistic this year. That was my big New Year's resolution. So I, I just went for <laughs> the, it. The tank, the tank the, isn't uh, like half. Isn't, yeah, isn't yeah. nine tenths empty. It's one tenth full. It's one tenth full. <laughs> yeah. Um. So uh, then you know the car just kind of sputtered out and stopped. And it, but I mean, it was like scary. I called AAA first, and I was on hold forever. And how, how cold was it? Um, it was so cold. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was negative thirty outside. Really? Yeah. Well, well, while we're on that subject, and this is just a correction from last week, I'm so annoyed with myself. I at some point very confidently stated that minus thirty-two is the point at which Celsius and Fahrenheit are the same. No. It's not. It's minus forty. It's minus Will 40. Davis tweeted us to correct that, and I'm I'm cross with me. Thank you, we, Will. We forgive you. Sorry, everyone. For whatever it's worth. It's hmm. Minus uh, 40. Even then, are they exactly the same? Or are they, they are a few exactly. decimals off? No, they're exactly at They meet up at exactly point. at some point? Yeah. It's nine-fifths plus 32. But is it something. exactly nine-fifths plus 32? Uh, probably. Uh, probably. Now, <laughs> I can't remember how they're defined. Like, I know I know Celsius right. is defined the freezing and the boiling well, point s- of water. Well, Celsius but. is based on water, but... What's Fahrenheit defined by? No, Fahrenheit. Fahren- Fahrenheit's based on, like, slate... Or, or um, no, I think Fahrenheit was just somebody trying to like calibrate the system so that the reasonable num- the, the temperature range that we might experience typically on Earth is going to range no, from, about, based, from about zero to about a hundred. No, it's based on something. True. It's based on a weird thing we don't think about much. Like it's based on mm, yeah, uh, you're at a computer uh, literally right now. You're literally <laughs> at a computer. Imperial measurements are always weird things. We like sort of the. The boiling point of a horse's fist. I was going to say, it's, like the, right. it's a horse hoof. Uh, like, well, no, look it up. It's like, um, it's, I'm it's looking it up, and I'm, I'm making our two guests wait some, to be introduced. Some so sort I of slug. This up. Okay, so a cop had to come. I had to sit in his car, and then he yelled at me for not having gas, and then a lady brought gas. Miracle <laughs> uh, life. On Heights original scale, the lower defining point was the lowest temperature which he could reproducibly obtain using brine. Brine. <laughs> Defining zero degrees. Yeah, it's based and on the brine. highest was the best estimate of the average human body temperature. Uh, defining 96 degrees. Brine. That's there exist several Slate, stories brine, in the exact similar. origin, original definition of his scale, however, and some of the specifics have been lost and exaggerated with time. So, well, you may never know. Which means uh, we're both right? Brine. No. Okay, it's Brine. <laughs> Fine. I'll defer to the guy who ran out of gas and almost died. <laughs> okay, we have two very special guests joining us this week. We're very lucky to have both um, visiting us from out of state. Our second, uh, his second appearance in the show from uh, the great state of Colorado, the mar- marijuana tourism destination, Colorado. Professor Peter McGraw. Hello, guys. It's Thank good you to be for back. Coming back. Thanks yeah. for coming. Author of the Humor Code. 
It's much nicer this time. Yeah, it's very pleasant. This is the best weather we've had here in in a month or so, probably. We're sitting in the backyard. It's dusk. It's probably seventy five degrees, wouldn't you say? I don't know. <laughs> I'm all off. I've been I've been vortexing. Where's your brine? I've been Where's vortexing your... hard. I'd normally carry around a small uh, jar of pitch <laughs> so I can detect the <laughs> so I can detect the temperature. But mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Well, Peter, you're in town to um, to you just spoke last week at Nerd Belt Theater with uh, Joel Warner about your book. It's coming out in uh, just over a month, two months. Uh, April first. April first. That makes total sense. The Humor Code is finally coming out, which we spoke about last time you were here. Finally. And I read, and it's very good, and everyone else should when it's out. Uh, which is the science of why things are funny. You guys um, traveled the world to try to figure out why things are funny. If there's consistency throughout different cultures, uh, and also to put forth your Universal, your unifying theory of comedy, the right? benign the, violation, the benign theory. violation theory. That's benign right. Violation. We talked yeah. about with Baron Vaughn. Call me a nitpicker, <laughs> but I find it a huge waste of money actually to just print three hundred pages and on every page it just says fisting, <laughs> which I think, like, I don't even know why. You know, but I hope it sells. I hope it sells. I mean, I can just tell people. And I read the audiobook, and it's just a fart sound for three hours. It's a three-hour-long fart yeah. sound. You wanted pictures. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wanted diagrams. What was behind your decision to keep the fart sound a constant pitch? Because I would have varied between right? squeaky and bassy. And wetter and drier throughout yeah. the... Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was uh, Joel Warner, actually. It was his decision. He felt uh, strongly about this. He's hmm. the one to take this up with. Uh, we also have somebody else who's an expert on comedy, comedy writer and host of the podcast Man School, Caleb Bacon, is here. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Hey, it's so hey, good to see all of you. Us. Hey, and uh, yeah. check out my new book coming out April 2nd that debunks the humor code. <laughs> <laughs> uh, go to Amazon.com slash probably science and you get a 10% discount. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or an error message. One of the two is going to happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we, do have a, we do have our Amazon code now. Oh, yeah. Have we actually put it on the site now? I think uh, we finally have the... Uh, I, f- I finally managed to register a UK and uh, Canadian. So, so apologies again to anyone who Excellent. tried to buy British or Canadian We're Amazon not going to keep going with that, are we? We're going to... Every We're country done at those countries? No, every country eventually. You're on Amazon? Well, if you just go to our site and click on the Shop Amazon link, then you can just shop as normally, and it doesn't cost you anything extra, but they throw uh, us back a little something. I still don't understand how that business works. I don't know how work. it works. Well, like, but I, it haven't, I haven't. It, so far, you know, we always say that. We're very vague. They throw us back a little something, but they send us pepperoni. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think is weird. Uh, just bags well, of pepperoni. I think what's meant to happen is when we have specific authors or products that we're mentioning on our show or on our blog we link to those products. Oh. Like, say, for example, when uh, the book comes out, we can link to the book, and we attach that code, and we're like, hey, buy this book that we were talking about on our show, right. and we get and, the commission. And when you click through you the Amazon UK link, it's, yeah. it spells humor differently. Well, you can it pre-order does. the book now? You can pre-order the book? Oh, we'll have that link up by the time this episode Sweet. goes up, then. We'll, we'll um, link directly to that. But I think, but instead, but you can just generally go, hey, I want to support this show by just giving them commission on everything I buy on Amazon. Right. Uh, and we have someone else who supported the show directly by PayPal. Yeah, if you go to our site, probablyscience.com, you can click on the donate button and kick us a little money to fun things like our new mixer. Hey, new look at it sitting there. 12 channels, which we'll, we'll never need, but at if least... If you guys uh, think that we're better mixed than normal, you are right. Yep. Yeah. And that's thanks this to gonna, I'm telling you, this is like, that's my whole goal with the podcast. I don't think 
education. I don't think comedy. No. I think I want it to sound like a Steely Dan record. Like, I want the slickest. Can I be your Gary Katz? Yeah, I, be... I want. Well, I want people listening to this. Just, just. Oh my! Did you hear the, yeah. the three to five kilohertz range on that last dick joke? Did well, you hear it? Michael McDonald you know? is going to be doing backing podcast on next week's episode. <laughs> so. Foreign movie, all in 3D. Back, back to you. <laughs> okay. uh, you guys big... have two very different versions of Michael McDonald. They should harmonize. You should do I'm them probably together. thinking of the wrong person. Maybe Michael McDonald. Mine is very specific too. There's a, a making of Steely Dan's Asia documentary that has that they isolate uh, Michael McDonald's backing vocals on the song Peg, which are embarrassing. Is that where Steely Dan by... went over and built their railroads? <laughs> I don't know, man. Come on, dude, means. come on. The making that? of Asia, dude. Oh, just Asia. no. Okay, let's okay. just okay, no, 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 Andy, no, 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 Just this argument is mixed. Wonderful. that's the thing is we're testing the mixer. The mid range. I got to give a heads up to the listeners. This is not going to be a good episode. It's not going to be funny. It's not going to be educational. But we're just testing the mixer. Testing the mixer. We don't even want to do this, really. But the bass is kind of massaging your eardrums. That's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Mm. This is a headphone kind of kind of episode. You know what I mean? This yeah, this is a, this is an audio files listen. You get some circumoral headphones and you hang available? out in your egg chair. You do this in 5.1? 5.1's around. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this is a this is a polyphonic listen. So if anybody wondered why the THX sound began the podcast, that's why. Well, the, yeah, the whole thing is this is a, we always record in 5.1. Now this particular episode, um each one of us is one of the five and the point 1 um the point one or the, the neighbors is the amount of gas dinner. that was left in your tank. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> dude, they were so pissed off at me when they they're like, "You're an idiot." You're the cops an... actually came. You called nine one one. Yeah, because you were going to freeze to death. I was going to freeze to death. I've never been arrested or anything like that, but the disappointment I've had from the police uh-huh. is worse. I would almost rather just get thrown in the back of a car or something because they just they're just you piece of shit. It's like... like they just look at me like. You know. I've taken my car in to get the oil changed because there was a clacking sound, and they're like, yeah, there's no detectable oil in your car <laughs> right, whatsoever. Yeah, right. To the point that we're not even allowed to change it because then we'd be liable if something happened. So I had to go buy oil, put it in, then take it in to get it changed so that they could say, well, there was detectable oil in it to begin with. And wow. also the shame for that. It's like the same as going to the dentist and like, do you want me to go through this song and dance about lying about how much I floss? You know, just I'm paying you to do this thing. Just- and every time they reteach you. They teach yeah, you every time how to, how to do it. I know how to do it. I'm just crazy. Right. I, yeah. But does your is this weird? Does your doctor also teach you how to pee? <laughs> That's a normal thing, right? It's you totally guys as doctors? Yeah, yeah. He shows me first. You sit down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then begin. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. But just so, so nobody's sit confused. down in front of the toilet in a different chair. <laughs> just like arc it in. Yeah. It's like how yeah. I can wet the bed from anywhere in the bedroom. Yeah, totally. <laughs> very similar. Totally. Totally. I think people I, don't understand very often. Yeah, I really know. hope that the administration at my university is not listening uh, to this <laughs> podcast. This They'll considered... find out why your beds are already wet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you get, uh, do people follow up to see what sort of junket-ish things you're doing to promote the book? No. No, no. You're totally on your own. Yeah, pretty much. We'll clean it up, man. I'm sorry. Yeah, we'll edit all that out. We still haven't thanked the person. So Spencer Neff sent us a donation. Thank you so much Spencer. for doing that. And he's from Portland. He's from, uh, actually, I'm not going to say uh, his address. I won't say what it is, but he lives on the street that um, Beverly Cleary uh, made famous in her, um, was it Ramona books? Who, what did she write? I forgot. The children's author. What? Stop looking at me like this. There's so many people. No, no, I'm embarrassed by myself at this, this thing. <laughs> it is a weird seating setup. Who's Ramona Cleary? 
Beverly Cleveland, Beverly, Beverly, Beverly author. children's author, um, Stuart Little, Nancy Drew, no, Nancy uh, Roald Dahl, Ramona. Yeah, she wrote uh, you know, James and the Giant Peach, Ramona Quimby, um, uh, Henry Huggins. Yeah, so she grew up on the very the self same street as this, uh, or at least she, the books took place on the street that our donor lived on. It's a really great street name, but we can't say Can we take this from the top? Too. Let's just start this over. Yeah, we really okay. should, right? Oh, we're so, rusty. So, uh, we are rusty. So what? Uh, who else do we have? We've, we've... That's it for this week. But, uh, are you yeah. serious? The <laughs> <laughs> yeah. man needs gas. I'm still out of gas. The money went straight to the mixer. There's no gas money in this podcast to be had. You didn't consult Matt and I about the mixer? <laughs> and it is weird that it's hooked up to your Telecaster. What's going on here? Are you just recording an album? Andy... <laughs> There's a reason why Larry Carlton's over. Yeah, you know, you know what I've always wanted to do. Uh, seriously, is uh, if I've always wanted to um, record like a song at Guitar Center, only using their stuff by just going in little by little, like Johnny Cash style, like making his car one piece at a time when he worked on the line, sort of. But uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, like I, I want to go in and like try one of their guitars and just do like a guitar track and then the lead guitar track. Someone must have done do that. a full thing there. Tambourine. Everything. Yeah, get every, I'm sure someone's done that. It, it, that seems like... Yeah, Steeler very, Dan. That's how they did Peg. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> At the Guitar Center in the 70s. They tried out the Michael McDonald that was in there. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because every Guitar Center has their own Michael McDonald, of course. Yeah, there's several versions, as you've heard. <laughs> um, so I feel like we should either get into the science of comedy or... Uh, the comedy of science. Or the comedy Flip of science. Or go down the wormhole of the Dennis Miller bot that well, let's our talk, listener... Well, let's talk DMB for a minute. <laughs> really quickly. We do have to thank... <laughs> last week, uh, just to bring the two of you up to speed, last week uh, I told Augie Smith uh, that I have long wanted to create a Dennis Miller reference generator that just pulls from a list of, of names like Cassavetes and Netanyahu and just says, you know, like, this guy makes uh, Boutros Boutros Gali look like uh, Sirhan, Trotsky. Sirhan. Right, yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Uh, so listener Mac R.J., Went ahead and generated this. This is uh, so funny. It's, it's this is what incredible. our listeners do, and I'm very happy about this. Yeah, yeah. yeah he went to we went uh, to a dumb idea, <laughs> and by the time the episode's been out for about a day, someone's made this on the actual yeah. internet. He he went to um, ESPN's annotated Dennis Miller, which has transcripts of every time he ever did color commentary on a football oh, game, my God. and lists all the references he made. So uh, this listener, Mac RJ. Um, put that list together and then generated this uh, Tumblr page. It's dennismillerbot.tumblr.com. We'll link to it on our site also. That uh, just says, this guy is so, and you click it, and it generates things like... Uh, Give us a few. Let's, let's hear it. This guy is so indulgent, he makes Pliny the Elder look like Peter Ustinov. <laughs> <laughs> this guy is so volatile, he makes Norma Desmond look like Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. <laughs> He's got a, a Pliny the Elder reference. I know. Those are all actual things. Uh, this guy's so lascivious. He makes no, Bertolt. we've talked about Pliny on the show. Uh, oh, that's right. We have. We've discussed survivor, Pliny. Survivor of the... Uh, um, Vesuvius. Vesuvius explosion. Right, Vesuvius yeah. survivor, Pliny the Elder. Uh, Pliny the, or, or no, Pliny the Elder died. Was it Pliny the Younger that lived? I hope the Younger one did. I think they're both dead now. <laughs> both Plinys yeah. are dead now, surely. The one who died was Pliny the Chard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, didn't go well for him. Yeah, Caleb, you got a mosquito on your head. An elder Pliny never wants to have to bury a younger Pliny. That's that's the that's, saddest that's thing. That's, that's the saddest Pliny. thing you can do as a yeah, Pliny. Yeah. Well, I have, we are outside now. Everybody knows. Yeah, I thought it was Pliny. I'm gonna I'm gonna be just up front here. I thought it, I always thought it's Pliny. I'm Pliny. Yeah. I, oh, I mean, I'm, there's only one. No, there's only one end. You're probably right. 
I'm just learning all sorts of things on the show. British people are always right, so it's plenty from now on. We certainly are, which is why 32, minus 32 is the temperature at which. (laughs) Minus 32, (laughs) always accurate. That's Kelvin? Matt Kirsten. Yeah, Yeah, minus 32 Kelvin. (laughs) Sure. Is the temperature at which water freezes. Yeah. (laughs) Well, technically, it it does. I mean... Uh, Yeah, water will. It will also be frozen there. It's not the first temperature at which it freezes. It's one of the temperatures. (laughs) Well, it's not even a temperature. Oh, I'm sorry. It's true. I'm, I, 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 I wasn't even. Oh, see now the eggs on my face, and I got up. Is that where you play the drop? You've been science. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We go, we uh, should get some drops. We, we have should. a new mixer. You yeah, have we eight. could actually have drops pretty easily on this. Yeah, thing I see now. seven channels ready to rock. Seven channels of rock. Yeah, I do at least have. Yeah. Add some delay, maybe. I've got this reverb. I've got uh, I've got reverb. Who's whose one is this going to? Let's just get this puppy crisp. Yeah. This is me? Am I am I reverbing now? Oh. You are, oh, you guys don't have headphones on, but you are. Yeah. Uh, anyhow, Spooky. so let's get to the actual nuts and bolts. Yeah, let's of, get to an episode of the humor. Let's code. make an episode, guys. Let's make radio. Let's, let's make some radio. It. So, uh, you and Joel Warner, Peter, you and Joel Warner traveled the world. You went to Peru, Japan, Africa. You went those three places, right? <laughs> With the entire world. <laughs> Basically the world? Yeah. I think that counts. Not in that, not I think that you order. can say you've order. seen the world. We did five continents. Five continents. Yeah. And how many continents are there? Seriously. Seven. Are there seven? Wait. That's oceans, right? <laughs> or is it four and six? Five and seven. What? What are the planets? How many planets now, then? <laughs> okay. Which of them did you What's research? What's the funniest planet? Um, Uranus. Now, uh, or Venus. It depends if you're going limerick with it. Venus is a funny planet. So you went to five continents. Now, when you do that, are you you're including North America? Yes. See, that's I don't know. Is that why you're wearing a T-shirt that lists all the the destinations (laughs) on the back? Because you rocked them all. Coming four one. Did you have a loaded six string on your back (laughs) when you? He's wanted. He's wanted. He's wanted in, in all any these condition, <laughs> dead or alive. Uh, that's, when he does the loaded six string on my back line, uh, that's when I, I just will leave a bar. I will leave whatever bar I'm in. To um, get your six string? Do the Bon Jovi? Sure. No, that's when I walk into every bar. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's like my theme. I'm like, oh, there goes Jesse. Yeah, as I leave, you wait outside bars. Yeah, on a steel horse you ride. Yeah, yeah. And it's... I, I mean, I feel like I should be awarded something for inventing a steel horse. <laughs> I do have a robot horse, and I don't know why we're not discussing this yeah. more. Your steampunk horse is like so anachronistic and yet so futuristic. I know, but it's like everyone just wants to talk about my Bon Jovi music career, and it's like, guys, I have, I a, have a steel, horse, I have a steel, a functioning, a functioning horse. steel horse, and a very you, sore taint. You yeah. don't, you yeah. don't clean up after. There's so much steel horse manure around our backyard. I don't even just, just stepping nuts and bolts just everywhere. Yeah. Um, okay. So, okay. Let's so go. I'll give you the places. Yes. Yes. I'm so sorry. He didn't. You didn't read deeply. I no. I read the entire book. I, I gave you a blurb. <laughs> no. I could tell you what you, I know what you did in each of the places. If you want me to just go through it to prove that I read it. But no. No. I believe you. Okay. <laughs> and thank you for the blurb. <laughs> you don't have to use it. There's no obligation to. But it's. A I'm not sure who's going to make the cover. <laughs> yeah. Andy. But they're going to add paper. They're going to add pages to it. Oh, okay. There'll be like an insert of blurbs that I think so. They're going to add pages of blurbs. Yeah. We got a lot of blurbs. Andy's blurb was six pages. <laughs> Man. Andy's blurb is it was, a, it was chapter one, <laughs> word for word. I always confuse the word blurb and manifesto. So yeah. that's yeah. a, as a book reviewer. It's a common mistake. Yeah. It's a common mistake. So did you guys stop about the New World Order in your blurb? Yeah. yeah. That Christopher Warner blurb was weird. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and he didn't use the word riveting. Thank yeah. you for that. I didn't use riveting. 
I, okay. Did you? I hope no. I didn't. Okay. No, I don't think so. I would riveting. imagine riveting is pretty blurb hack. It's probably like as bad as using seminal in a rock critic review of something. You know. You know what? Yeah, absolutely. Seminal's you know what's weird? When I write blurbs, I do my own four point ellipses. I just add them myself. <laughs> I just skip words. I write outstanding four dots, <laughs> electrifying four dots. That's that's those are my blurbs, and I don't. I save you. The we time. have plenty of room for those. Yeah, I save you yeah. the time to have to pick out the good out stuff. Words like not at all. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, so, you guys are flying around. Yeah, we did. We did fly mostly. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, we did. Uh, so we did. Uh, we did L.A. Mm-hmm. and New York. So we start. We actually the the book starts in Colorado, about how Joel and I met, mm-hmm. and how the the project got launched. It ends with your wedding. <laughs> uh, it's so, a love story, right? This is. <laughs> I, I, I didn't research this. They do describe it as an unusual friendship, right? This is uh, we're still talking the humor code. We are, yes. yeah. and this is where you you guys sort of go around and, and find different things Da Vinci left on national art. <laughs> sort of, uh, but weird, <laughs> weird. The key to all comedy is right in the back of a dollar bill. You guys, <laughs> right. eye on top of the pyramid. Right, it's a whoopee cool. cushion. It's yeah. a yeah. giant whoopee cushion. I think I've ranted on this show before about Dan Brown's utter lack of research, but just the the anti sh- <laughs> yeah the shoddiness like in, in angel. I think it's angels and demons where there's a. There's supposedly an antimatter bomb underneath the Vatican, and it has an expert on physics, like a professor of physics, going for antimatter is the counterpart to matter. For every particle, there's an antiparticle. For example, for the proton, there's the electron. Oh yeah, you have ranted just, about this. Which yeah. is just like not at all true. Like a twelve-year-old who likes physics will be able to instantly tell you, no, nope. no, that's no, nope, well, no, nope, not that's it. Dan Brown, similar to a Tom Robbins, is one of the authors. Unlike Peter, a very great author, <laughs> uh, Dan Brown is one of those authors that uh, he just wants to get laid at a book signing. We've talked about this, of the whole thing. It's have uh, we? Maybe we haven't. Maybe we've talked about it off camera, and I'm about to lose all the listeners <laughs> off camera. We film it, too. Yes. You guys don't know that, but we, we film everything. No, there's a lot of uh, authors where the lead character is a um, sexy professor guy. Uh, right. Sexy author type. Sexy author type. Yeah. Uh, a Tom Hanks with long hair. Yeah. A Tom Hanks yeah. with long hair, if you will. Um, and the whole point of the book is... Uh, Uncovering the truth that your vagina is Jesus, and and what they do, so they're they're just putting it out there to, the, and then they get uh, hippie girls show up at their book signings, and that's they have a longing for they have profess- a longing prof- for professorial uh, professorial uh, daddy issue religious yeah. Illuminati sex. Has this happened to you on any of your uh, press junket? Stuff? No, this is yeah, all. There's nothing. <laughs> I mean, things are just getting started. Yeah, though, tell right? us so, why you wrote it, really. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Okay, we're getting way off track. Let's By the end keep... of the podcast, you're going to tell us something about the book. Um, <laughs> the Japanese aren't funny. That's a chapter, right? It, is, it yeah. actually is a chapter. So chapter four, I think. Chapter we go, four. We go to Japan. Boo. So we actually, we go to Japan to investigate this idea that culturally comedy struggles like oh. it's one of those things that you know comedy doesn't travel well okay. and and people kept saying to us can you please explain japanese comedy to us i don't understand it you know and so we went and we actually went and explored japanese game shows like these crazy variety shows sure. and game right, shows right. where people are getting wiped out and uh and i think you're right like this idea that as an american you look at the japanese and you don't think that they're very funny in part because it's hard to find them being funny, except in these game shows, and then they just don't really make sense. And uh, and one of the things that we found was that 
Japanese uh, culture is really compartmentalized. Mm -hmm. So unlike um, North America in the U.S. and in the U.K. and so on, where you can make jokes nearly anywhere in the classroom, at work, with strangers and so on, in Japan, you can't. Just in the joke room. Well, <laughs> in every house, they built a joke room. Well, you have to change into your joke shoes. <laughs> right, right. It, yeah, so certainly, like, if you go out, you know, if you go to the karaoke bars and, and oh. you go out to bars and so on, it's like social places sure. like that. Racist, lots of but laughs. Sure. Good example. <laughs> lots of laughs. Um, but on the subway, on the street, and we're at work, and, you know, in the classroom. You're at the karaoke so bar, eating your sushi off a woman, or, uh, you know, when you're, uh, I don't know, cleaning up after some sort of tragedy, or whatever. Yeah, sure. Just when, when you're, you're chopping a wooden block. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> we are losing. I thought, I thought now that Brooks was gone, we don't have these, like, regional drop-offs and listeners, but now we're going to have to go back to tracking country by country, our numbers. Oh, so, the, uh, so, actually... There are humor scholars in Japan also, which mm -hmm. was a, a bit of a surprise. Yeah. And there's a society for humor and laughter studies, and Joel and I went to their like main offices. The dojo. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They're dressed as samurais. <laughs> and, and we're ha yeah, we're having this very serious meeting about humor, and I crack a joke and then go ahead and laugh at my own joke because no one else is laughing. <laughs> I find it's the best defense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the the head of the, the society says, this is a serious place. It's not appropriate to laugh here. Which made me laugh oh. even more because I said, this is the Society for Humor and Laughter okay. says that we can't laugh here. Where There's no fighting in the war room. Yeah. Yes, wow. that's right. No you should find. I guess I'll pull my own finger. <laughs> <laughs> sure. But we did. I mean, we did find Japanese who have a really great sense of humor. It just it has to be in the right context. And isn't there this uh, sort of institutionalized? Um, maybe that's the wrong word. But there's. Um, kind of one format of comedy that's huge over there, which is this the two man the sort of vaudevillian. Uh, uh, yeah, manzai. Manzai. Yes. This it's uh, it's like. Um, I met a girl once Dean who did a manzai and... film, and uh, <laughs> oh no, we're talking about. Okay, never mind. Dean and Martin, basically. <laughs> so it's the straight guy. Um, and then the clown, uh -huh. you know, so the kind of the straight guy who disapproves of all the things that the, the other guy's doing and gives him a good smack on the head. So that, that actually came over from the United States in the fifties. So post-World War II, Japan had TVs, but they didn't have production companies. And so they were, they had a lot of foreign content mm -hmm. and then, uh, comedy became kind of like similar to the studio system. That um, in early Hollywood. In early Hollywood, so uh, we went and visited Yoshimoto, which is the main comedy purveyor. Probably provides eighty percent of the comedy content in Japan, and they are totally vertically inter integrated. So they run the schools, they produce the shows, mm -hmm. and then I think they're owned by a group of different television stations basically like oh, okay. television companies and so well, what on. do you mean they run the schools so so if you want to become a comedian in japan there's not really an alt comedy scene you don't just sort of decide you're going to become a comedian and then just start showing up at open mics you go to a comedy school to learn some form of kind of traditional comedy there manzai being the most so does that mean that i mean firstly if you're not in that school you're fucked like yes. if you if you are not in that system you're, you've got no chance of getting on anything. Yes. But also, does that then mean... I mean, I think if that happened in America or in Britain, that would encourage very little variety and very little experimentation and creativity within 
that yes. system. And like yes. if everyone has to do this, if everyone's taught by the same people who are in turn taught by the people above them who are taught by the people above them. And, yes. And if you like, you can become blacklisted also. And the only people who can really survive are like the really, really big names. They tell the rest of the country, just like, don't laugh. Like, look, this guy's going to say some funny <laughs> stuff out and about. Imagine this is in one of the serious rooms. Yeah. Imagine, <laughs> just imagine, okay, um, that we're in a tea room when he's doing this. This is not appropriate. Because yeah. so, this guy is hilarious, but he's been blacklisted. You can't admit that he But is. Matt, so you can understand it's very similar to your Hogwarts. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But even within our Hogwarts, there are four different houses. And different that does encourage variety, yeah, yeah. yeah. And each each one started from its own great wizard, uh, with yeah. the, leaving behind their own lineage. <laughs> but um, you can't, there, yeah, you can't leave Yoshimoto and work for another. If you've been blacklisted, you're done because you just wow, you just can't get work. Word gets out. Word gets out. You're not going to get commercials. Out. You're not going to get TV shows. You're not going to do theaters. And are most of these performers in duos as well? So that like, do they get paired up with someone for life? Like, how, do, how does it? Or do they switch and switch within the duos or? Like, uh, hey, today I, I'm going to be the straight guy with this person, then tomorrow I'm going to be the clown with this person. No, no, you, you're <laughs> branded. Sounds like my love life. <laughs> <laughs> you're, I mean, uh, if you're doing Manzai, you're sort of branded as this duo, and you stick to that that role. You work that stuff out in school and then yeah. in the time afterwards. Like, yeah, I think it's crazy, but really, if you think about it, as a combination of... Uh, no, it is. Well, but we don't say that about UCB, do we? Like, if you go through... Yeah, we him, do. We do. <laughs> you don't. I Like, dude... Do you hate improv classes in general? No, no, no. I think there are, th- there are things like that, but to have that as a, this is the path, and that's the path. Right. And it's like, that, to me, like, when you say that you went, and you you found this the same way, I, I, you're far more diplomatic on the subject than me, but when you sat down in the humor room, and this is a serious place, like, fuck that. Like, <laughs> like what are you talking about? I, I don't know, man. I don't know. Yeah. To me, that seems it seems like that it seems is, like the uh, opposite of comedy. But then again, like what about what do you think about the Canadian system of yuck yucks clubs, where it's just one company that owns almost all the clubs in Canada, and they hire you? That's to not the tour same all. as this. That's not the same. Well, it's it's not similar as far as training, but as far as uh, having one company, it's kind of similar to an extent, though. And I know a lot of the Canadians don't like a very like are pissed off with that because if you get blacklisted by yuck yucks, yeah, that's not, again like eighty percent of comedy clubs in the country that you can't play. There's well, other clubs now, and also there's other things you can do. You can you can still branch out. You can still do whatever you want. Right. I mean, I think these I think these days are cha- These the days are numbered. I mean, if you think about the studio system in the U.S. and you think about what's available technologically now, mm-hmm. it's I think it's a matter of time right. before Japanese comics find some other way to monetize. Because there's got to be ja- like Japanese kids finding things on youtube there's got to be like the equivalent of youtube stars yeah, in japan yeah. there's got to be right. people uploading just stuff that who haven't come through that system at all and other kids finding out about it and yeah but the issue is you know even even with that in place you still need to pay the bills right so right so in the united states if you get popular on youtube it could um spur people coming to your shows <laughs> but if oh, there are not places to to perform and get paid, it becomes difficult. But you YouTube can't get on plays TV now. Like there are people on there are people on YouTube who don't have any TV presence and don't do any live shows and make a good living off yeah. it. It's just it's it's. But it's not. I mean, that's a harder way to do it. Yeah, it's, it's surprising rare. to me though that no alternative scene has popped up. Um, but that just speaks to the cultural differences that abso- the book is getting ab- no to the abso- bottom of. Like, no, it's absolutely, not about, and, yeah. and that's what yeah. I want to get into because I can't imagine. I mean. 
I the little bit I do know of Japan is, I mean, aside from like tentacle porn and stuff, is love it. They're, uh, they're well. That's the thing. It's like you. W- w- there's this weird like humor society, humor humorless system. Then it's like you guys have bakaki. You shut up. Like you sell you sell underwear in your vending machines. Just like I can make a joke in your dumb room. That's, um, I can hear the list. I can hear the unsubscriptions happening right now. I don't know how that's. No, but, what are you I, talking I, about? I just, completely no, legit. I know. I know. I, know. I, I want to be, but I want to be clear. Like just because there's sort of rules about where it's okay to express. Um, to make jokes and to express it. it doesn't mean that the Japanese don't care about comedy. I mean, it's actually a oh, vibrant system. Absolutely, like, it's a you know, it's a big part of the entertainment industry there. Um, you know, television, the t- the TV especially, um, with one exception that we found was there's very little satire with regard to politics and mm-hmm. and um, and the culture, but there's a lot of there's a lot of these comedians who make it onto these game shows. So so what we see is regular everyday Japanese people acting foolishly on these game shows and not really understanding it, it's that's actually rarely the case. That the average Japanese person is much too staid to behave that way. And so what they do is they hire these comedians who are trying to strike it rich, trying to make it mm-hmm. big, and wow. then they act the fool. Like and when Jesse was on the dating game. Yeah. yeah. I've done that in the dating game. Been the, so been you the have ringer. So much in common with Japanese comedians. <laughs> I well ma- mainly in the pants. But <laughs> I uh I n- now you're hearing them. There they are. There they are. That's we the sound. We, now we we can all hear that. Yeah. Everyone got your headphones yep. on. We can hear that. Yeah. Yep. It's a slight yep. popping sound. That's I pe- heard the University of Boulder just make a firing. That's what. Yeah. <laughs> some people, <laughs> people unsubscribing. No, I um, I guess what what I was saying before before I made uh, talked about porn for some reason is that. Um, I do know Japan has there's a constitution and there's you're not going to get arrested if you just try to start a comedy club right. or or decide not, to put on that, a show. What you're you're mistaking this as being this Orwellian oppressive thing where it's just kind of a sign of the general cultural tenor of that country, right? I mean, like if people wanted it, if the market demanded it, there would be more of those things. I don't think it's someone from above demanding that there isn't, right? No, it's and it's an oligarchy. Uh, oligarchy? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. You know? Garden. Olive Garden. Olive <laughs> yeah. Garden, yes. We're talking about a restaurant? We're talking garlic? Yeah, yeah. We're talking about garlic. The comedians are the breadsticks. <laughs> yeah. Unlimited. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, so some of this is just that there's a tremendous <laughs> so amount many of, ways you could go with the- <laughs> of competition, right? So um, if you wanted to break in, it's just difficult to do because Yoshimoto is like Disney times 10. Right. 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 Now... If I was Japan, I'm just saying I'd be worried that all of our good comedians are going to go to China, where they can do whatever they want, work all so, work the whole route. You guys didn't go to China, did you? <laughs> we did not. Did no. Not. Oh man. We, yeah. We, so we went to um, we went to Tanzania. So that's where we were. Oh, in to, to try to get to the bottom of the outbreak of the, the the laughter fit that lasted for a month or something. Yeah, there was a, alleged there was an alleged laughter epidemic in Tanzania in 1962, and so we went and visited uh, the the town that mm-hmm. that this started in has spread to other parts of the country. They like, shut down these schools and villages and how, for and how and people didn't stop laughing for how long did they say? Well, I think that the whole outbreak was was over a month or so. It was really intense there for a few <laughs> days and weeks. Everyone's looking at each other like this is bullshit. Is that what that look is? Yeah, like, yeah. Um, <laughs> do the old people there have a lot of wrinkles? A lot of laugh lines? <laughs> that month's got to be brutal on your skin. Yeah. Do you reckon you can cut an old person open and work out like how much they laughed over various years? Yeah, yeah, the rings. The concentric yeah. circles of the laugh circles. Not the Japanese. 
So yeah, we were um, we were skeptical of this account. I mean, this was written up in the it's like the British Journal of Medicine and so on. Like this was like documented by mm-hmm. serious folks, and it was a well, that, perplexing thing, for especially them. like the '60s British like that. That is the most like Margaret Thatcher attitude. It's like an epidemic of giggling. <laughs> we shall send unseemly, an unseemly epidemic of giggling. We shall send our troops. Uh, every every time someone laughs in Britain, it is described as an epidemic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> good jokes, a pandemic. Hey. Um, yeah. So the idea was. No, that's the, the Japanese. Uh, sorry, I don't know. Or no, wait, that'd be. Ch- I was trying to make a panda. It's yeah. racist, you guys. Oh, and being the racist on this show. Brooks is back. Brooks is back. <laughs> Brooks um, we love Abbott and Costero. <laughs> 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 Can you just have a little drop? This is over. not Dr. Peter McGraw. After the someone says something like that, not, not the voice of Dr. Peter McGraw. No, you, and, and, you're not even, and you're not even smiling. He's sitting there looking at us like we're dumb children. Um, it's the other end of the table. We got our own podcast happening. That's why we're doing this in 5.1. You can listen. To, you can isolate you the tracks if you want to get rid of the racism. Yeah, you can just. So or if you want to turn it up. You can also do that. Yeah. You want to remix it? If Crank you that hate. Yeah. <laughs> Crank that. Um, <laughs> That's got to be a podcast, isn't it? Crank the, Crank Crank the, hate. the hate. That's, That's a sequel to Humor Code. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, month-long laughter epidemic. Yeah, yeah. you can't quote me on the length of time. Do you have the book? We, we should look back uh, at it. I, I should don't remember. Have, I think I, I do have it, <laughs> I, unless I gave it to Matt. I forgot if I might have passed it along. Not to me. Oh, okay, then nope. I still have it, yep. All right, well, well at any rate, um, it was, well, so what we did was went there with, a skeptical eye, as, sure. as you might imagine, but really use this as a as a reason to explore the the question of why do we laugh, right? Right. So why is it that we have this kind of awkward expression of positive emotion? Mm-hmm. And then along the way, we hope to figure out like was there really a laughter epidemic? What is it that that caused it, and yeah, and what does it mean for the world? What was the cure? So, um, uh, grown ups too. <laughs> hey! Uh, thank you. Andy. <laughs> there he is. So, uh, so it actually is a case of uh, it, so it ends up being a special case of a more common malady uh, called mass motor hysteria. Okay. So it's basically sure. a, a, MMH. What's that? MMH. MMH. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. how I know it. <laughs> which to, uh, which is a common, us. which you know, it happens commonly. It happened in the United States. There was a documented case. Last year in upstate New York, actually. Oh, was that at the Tickle Fest? <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, but, the, uh, the Yonkers Tickle Fest? Yeah, yeah, I was there. I was there. I had a but, booth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wait, who paid who? You're receiving. Yeah. That's, that's where we met. That's where we met. <laughs> but uh, so, so essentially, hysteria is the outgrowth of um, stress. Mm-hmm. And uh, usually it doesn't, doesn't result in laughter. It usually results in crying and nervous twitching and a variety of different other symptoms and uh so it usually happens to young people women more than men yeah who are in difficult sort of social situations Mm -hmm. and so in um the the (laughs) heebie-jeebies as they would and so it appears usually what happens is it sort of appears out of nowhere and no one no one knows why it's happening they think there's some problem with the water or there's some there's been some chemical spill or something like that but really it's just it's a stressful intense social situation sure so these so the the case that we explored started in a um 
religious boarding school. Mm-hmm. So it was like run by like these German nuns or whatever in the 60s. So you can imagine that this wasn't necessarily a pleasant place for these girls who have been suddenly displaced from their villages and sent to these yeah. uh, to these boarding schools. And and so this is this is a reaction, a psychological yeah. reaction to this. And and um like things like yawning and laughter and other other um uh physical um well, what's right symptoms of this stuff it can be passed on in yeah. this sort of contagious way there's no virus there's no bacteria but then when it happened did people get uh did they start to develop their own theories about it was there any kind of like accusation of uh supernatural things or did you hear anything about that kind of rumors like that starting when this is why I found the end of the movie Titanic inaccurate because people were just rolling around pissing themselves laughing when that when that boat was going down. And I think a lot of people don't realize that that that's what was happening. <laughs> and um they got so stressed, you know, and they could have gotten on those lifeboats, but they didn't. Just the boat started going down and they just lost it. Really? No. <laughs> everyone looking at me weird. <laughs> I didn't see the movie. So. That sounds, that sounds <laughs> accurate. That sounds accurate. Well, no, I was just trying to think like, uh, like how, what kind of stress would it would, I think it's not the kind because of stress why where your life happened? is ending, but the kind of stress where you've been thrust into this situation yeah, that, that's, that's outside of your societal norm. And uh, yeah, I would, I would assume that getting, like in the book you said that they, they hadn't been used to that kind of structure in any way before. And then suddenly their days are regimented and they're overcrowded and they miss their family and yeah, so on. Yeah. yeah. So this so this happened. I mean, laughter is a rare symptom of mass motor hysteria. So usually it's crying and sure. sort of fits and so on. Mm-hmm. It, so actually, um, in the United States, it's like uh, you'll probably have a good joke for this, but it <laughs> it, uh, it typically affects cheerleaders. That's not funny. And so the idea is that these are young women and sort of. Intense social situation, very closely bonded, and evidently it's not easy being a cheerleader. And so, so when we, so when we see them in the middle of games doing what we think of as structured <laughs> routines, that's actually mass hysteria that's breaking mass out. Mass hysteria that happens yeah. to be very regimented. And, yeah. And well, flips. Tanzania was actually, I mean, this happened that same month, the largest human pyramid ever made. Because <laughs> it is a natural reaction to mass hysteria is to just pyramid yourself. I saw that Tanzania documentary, Bring It On, a while back. <laughs> no, that was a great documentary. Yeah. And, um, well, I wonder. So this, uh, so the laughter in this case isn't actually related to humor or comedy, as we. Yeah, as it's you not a. It. It, yeah, it's not. It's not an expression of amusement. Yeah. In any in any way, at least as far as I could tell. What if it started with one of those German nuns farted, <laughs> and then one person <laughs> laughed, but they were still stressed out with the MMH, and then and then it caught on. Then that was the birth of modern German humor. Someone wrote back and said, "I farted today in the classroom, <laughs> and the whole country started laughing for the month." And then. <laughs> No, yeah, so two, two and one half days, <laughs> two, two and one half months of pure laughter. <laughs> this was it was actually seen as this really negative thing. So people attributed it to witchcraft, mm-hmm. and so we went to this remote village, like spent an entire day um, traveling, and almost got stuck a few times. And we met this woman. What, did Jesse fill your tank? <laughs> hey! Oh man, given given my sides the tickle fest. Huh? <laughs> Oh man, you got a booth in my heart, buddy. <laughs> and uh, and we met we met a woman who was at the school, and she denied having any memory of it. So she either has a good lawyer who coached her, mm-hmm. um, or she just sort of knew I shouldn't be talking she, that, to now, these she guys. Was a Tanzanian or a German? She nun? was Tanzanian. No, she was one of the students at the time. Oh, okay. Um, so she was affected by this, and so 
Uh, but she claimed to have no memory of it all. And the people we were with said she's scared. She's worried because if you, if even still in Tanzania, if you get labeled a witch or being involved in yeah. witchcraft, it can be. Oh, no, the, the a, witchcraft a stuff in Africa is brutal. Man. Like this is a scary thing. The stolen penis yeah. uh, phenomenon is fascinating to me. What? People will accuse others of stealing their penis. Okay. Like Matt. that they're a witch and they cast a spell and stole their penis. I'm like, that seems like a pretty verifiable thing whether <laughs> you can yeah. just be like, well, show us, yeah. did you yeah. lose your penis or not? Like, Well, don't look right. Yeah, I don't want it to be seen because I'm quite right. if you look directly embarrassed at- <laughs> about my lack of penis <laughs> right now, but you're just going to have to trust me on this one. Well, no, the, uh, the, the witchcraft thing in Africa is like really brutal. It's, yeah, uh, I wasn't. But yeah, I mean, even the United States oh, no, history, wasn't right? So the Salem witch trials. I don't, I don't think I don't think the U.S. Some... has ever had a history that um, that we could point to of, of any sort of witchcraft thing going on. But I was talking about Africa, actually. <laughs> so if you, um, uh, you know, I'd like to try to take this a little seriously. Uh, um, go back to Africa. Huh? Go back to Africa if you're looking for another tour. Yeah, yeah. But um, this, this sounds kind of similar to a thing I saw an ad for on mm. TV that I thought was just an ad for like a Tim and Eric. I thought it was just a weird Adult Swim ad because it, sh- it showed black and white slow motion images of old people laughing hysterically and it just had this really somber voiceover of like, do you have do you, do you find yourself laughing for no apparent reason? Oh, dude, I've seen that commercial. It's weirdest. Terrifying. And I was like, weirdest. wait, this is fake, right? This is f-. And then that I, that at the end it was just you may suffer from pseudo bulbar effect or PBA. Yeah. PBA facts. I don't, and I looked it up. It's a real thing. And it's a neurological a, disorder. And they're selling a drug for it. I guess they must be. They but, have uh, to be. Yeah. It's called yeah. emotional yeah, mobility. I've a few audiences on that. Yeah, drug. me too. All my crowds are on that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's also called emotional incontinence, which I think is a great name. <laughs> that is a great name. Uh, it's characterized by involuntary crying or uncontrollable episodes of crying and or laughing or other emotional displays. Um, and it often occurs as a secondary uh, symptom to brain injury. Hmm. So yeah, crying or laughing uncontrollably, uh, and, and not listening to this podcast might mean that you have a pseudo bulbar effect. Doctor Peter, I would like to know what it's like when you go to one of these random ass places in the world uh-huh. and you try and explain what you're doing. Right. What what sort of reaction do they meet you with? Well, so we went to um, we flew into Tel Aviv with the goal of going to the West Bank to go to Palestine. Hysterical. <laughs> and uh, so we're standing in line at um, customs or mm-hmm. at the, you know, to talk to the, to basically get our passport stamped and so on. And Joel says to me, what do we tell them we're doing? Because our plan was to go try to find humor in, yeah. in you know, in, the, <laughs> in a dark place. And I said, I think we should just stick with honesty. Because I sense that they're good at detecting liars, so let's just stick with honesty. So then they're looking at our passwords. What you know? Are you here for business or pleasure? We're here for business. We're writing a book. We're going to the West Bank, and they're like, "What are you going to be doing? What kind of business are you doing in the West Bank?" And it's like, um, "We're studying what makes things funny, and we're going to investigate that." Mm-hmm. And then immediately the woman said, "Please stand over there." <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. And that took. And then some other higher-ranking official came over to ask exactly that same series of questions and then they just sort of shrugged their shoulders and said good luck wow um so and, and what did you find in the west bank we actually found uh, a lot of comedy well uh, it is the wailing wall it is the no <laughs> jerusalem <laughs> it's the wrong place it's the wrong place guys it's the wrong place don't know what i'm talking about would have been good would have been good if that geography matched up though would have been smart um uh, so we so um so we would spend a week in ramallah and uh, one of the th- really interesting that's going on in Ramallah was at the time 
there was the first ever political satire program mm -hmm. called Homeland on a String. So it was a, a three-person um, comedy troupe. And they had a television show on Palestinian national television. So state-sponsored television. And we were there during Ramadan in August of, uh, of that year. And during Ramadan, this comedy group has a show, a brief show, every day after uh, the fast has ended. So people fast, they pray, and then they eat. And the, while they're eating, this show comes on. And it's a tremendously popular show, more popular than... Uh, than any of the political parties, as you might imagine. And so while we were there, uh, they had taken things too far. So they had been on air for a long time and took aim at uh, you know the prime minister, at the Israelis, at Obama, at Osama. Everybody was fair game and everybody was sort of okay with that. But lately they had turned their attention to the Palestinian institutions. So they mm -hmm. were making fun of the police about their inability to detect drunk drivers. They were making fun of um, doctors because in, in the West Bank, they can just pay off their patients who they hurt. So uh -huh. there's no system of malpractice as right. we know it. They were making fun of the attorney general and so on. And so one of the days we were there, we were going go to go to a shoot and I get a phone call and said, we've been shut down. So the so the uh, Palestinian Authority in that part of the world, if they invite you to a shoot, I would be careful. <laughs> yeah, <that's>, uh, <laughs> mm. they shoot people, Jesse. Yeah, well, that's it's, oh no, that's yeah, like yeah. Cause, uh, it's a homonym. Homophone? <laughs> um, uh, no, it is a homonym. You're right. Yeah, homonym. Yeah, I always have to homophone? think about what that name and sound. Uh, anyway, so um, but um, wait, after a homophone, then just the same sound. But a homonym would be the same sound and the same word. Like nim meaning name, this is bad podcast. So no, it's not. This right is now. science. Wait, <laughs> this is so a homophone would be something like there, there, and there, like t h e i r t h e r. But then shoot is like direct spelling. Or as a friend of mine, my favorite story about language, my friend's grandmother, who was from Long Island, was explaining to an exchange student that was staying with my high school buddy how the English language is so difficult because so many words sound the same. Like take for instance. Lodge like a place you stay, and and, and lodge like really big. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> it's, um, it's a homophone. Um, uh, anyhow, so this is interesting though because after you went so on homeland your trip, on a string, yes, gets shut down. They get shut down. And then even more recently than that, uh, just last month, I don't know if you guys uh, heard about um, an American named Shazan Kasim who was in the news because he was jailed over a video that he made in the United Arab Emirates. Yeah. And he was yeah. just sentenced to a year in jail because of a spoof video. Right. But then who he's going he to sell spoofing out at Edinburgh next year, his is, whole month. Yep. <laughs> so is a silver lining there. Um, it was a satire. No, he will. There's been several people that have been... Who is the guy that... Um, you think it's worth a year in jail to go... Uh, who is the how guy long that, would you stay in jail yeah, to... To, to, to set out one run at a French festival. No, I wouldn't. Because also, it's like... Well, some guy did that. Some guy like... Um, who is the guy that just went to... This was in uh, in England. He went to... He like went to the Queen's birthday party. He just snuck in. Aaron Barshak. Okay. The comedy terrorist who... Uh, the comedy terrorist. I haven't seen him in quite some time. But then uh, he had a run at Edinburgh, but he got awful reviews. Oh, he was... Because he was terrible. Like, he he was someone, um, like, like, about three or four years into me starting comedy, like, he started to show up on the open mic circuit, uh -huh. and he'd wear um, this, like, this jumpsuit, like, this orange Guantanamo-style jumpsuit, and he'd 
and he had like long scraggly hair and a beard and he stank by the way uh and he would and he'd barge his way onto stages like in the middle of someone else's set and go like this set has been taken over by the comedy terrorist i'm hijacking this show and then he'd do about like three minutes of really bad comedy before he gets dragged off stage. Uh, I always bomb. Get it? Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure. Uh, and then he, uh, yeah, it was. I can't remember what what event it was. It was like Prince William's birthday party. It was some royal event or whatever that he broke into. And it was a huge story because he somehow got past security and right. appeared like in the middle of this event. Uh, yeah. He and he went to prison and presumably still has like special branch. Still probably has a file on him and. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but it made it, him really big for a minute. Well, it it got you, him. You know him. Yeah. yeah. He, well, he had. Right. Uh, yeah. It got him to the point that he. Yeah. He he did a show at the Edinburgh Festival that year, uh, and you know he wasn't good over four minutes. So right, an hour so, show. He's not, <laughs> he's not, he's not floating the hour. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, so what homonyms are not? You're yeah. in trouble. Yeah. So his his show, <laughs> particularly at the beginning of the run, was sold out mostly from tabloid journalists wanting an easy story. Uh, I see. And uh, and various. Some rubberneckers, effectively. Right, right, right. And yeah. yeah, so if you do want to sell out, if you do want to sell out a show at the Edinburgh Festival, the probably the easiest way is to breach royal security. Sure. And risk after being... after writing a great uh, hour show, the easiest yeah. way would be. Yeah. <laughs> if you just... Well, if you're going to be in prison for a year, yeah. you should work on the show. You have time. Right? He's got a lot of time to write. If you yeah. did, just, like you, you know, you broke into a royal party and staged this big event, and but then you just your show was just an hour of whimsical observations on life. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Working on your standup would be so hard in prison. Yeah, because yeah, you I would imagine. Yeah, you'd have to write it and stuff, but then you would forget. You'd, I mean, you would forget, forget how to do it. You get rusty craft. really quick. Yeah. Well, have, did you interview? I know, like. A few friends of mine have, over the years, done shows, comedy shows, in prisons to prisoners. Mm-hmm. Sure. Which is... But they're not themselves incarcerated. No. They have a great yeah. open mic at Rikers Island. <laughs> it's pretty good. I mean, the list is long. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. who's next? 61743? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It I'm ends early, surprised though. surprised that they don't do that in prisons. You know, like, that would kind of well, be a good There is another, exercise. again, a, a, yeah, well, a friend of mine in London as well runs workshops in, like, comedy workshops with prisoners. Yeah. And they, you know, are they same, funny? I have no idea. I've never been to one, but um, but yeah, it is like a here's a way to express yourself and be creative and yeah. Get oh, is that that program Whales for Jails? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I was talking to the old ball and chain the other day. <laughs> you know, because I'm schizophrenic. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I have a ball and chain around my foot. Yeah, because of this uh, homonym. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> so, Peter, uh, in your book, you do talk about whether whether uh, humor can actually change, can 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 enact social or political change, whether it's an effective tool or not. Because I think people have long thought that it that it is. Uh, and then, what, what were the actual findings that you guys talked about in the book? Yeah. So the thing, the thing that's really difficult about humor is trying to answer this question is humor a thermometer Uh or is it a thermostat right right right. so is it that you depending on the amount of laughs and and uh sort of how cheerful people are is it an indicator of how well they're doing so Mm -hmm. that is Hmm. like you know you can find evidence for um for humor in really really dark places so you know we weren't surprised to find it in palestine like anytime that you can find hardy individuals, people who are dealing with their difficult situations, you should see laughter. You should see yeah, some yeah. expression. In the same way that you can quite clearly see in America, for example, a lot of the best comedy over the years has come out of the poorer immigrant communities. Right. Like, you know, the first, a large number of the original comics were uh, 
with the Jewish immigrants and then like some of the best comedians of the past 30 years of being African-American. Right, mm. who come from, from more difficult circumstances, are not part of the mainstream. Yep. So we actually met, we actually went to Jerusalem and uh, met with a Holocaust survivor to talk to her about, was there... Uh, humor in Auschwitz, humor mm -hmm. in Auschwitz, as well as some work camps and so on. And she said, yes, there were. It wasn't a lot, and it usually happened in sort of safe times, you know, a rare time where you got a meal at the end of the day when you're with other people where there was yeah. right. expressions of humor. And so a lot of people would say, well, that's just, you're just taking the temperature. That happens to be a good moment in time. That happens to be a strong individual who's coping with his his difficult time. But we were interested in, is, is it a thermostat? Can you, you know, you're not doing well. Can you use comedy to feel better? And the evidence for that is a lot more mixed. So yeah. there's a lot of good theory. So the benign violation theory, for instance, would suggest that, that humor can be a thermostat, or as I should say, comedy can be a thermostat. Mm -hmm. That is that you can take the things that are wrong in the world, the violations, find a way to make them okay, to make them benign, and then lift your spirits to light in even something that seems to be really, really bad. Yeah, measure yeah. that in Celsius or Fahrenheit. Hmm. <laughs> mm. This is when one of you guys yeah. jump in with a <laughs> with a, a sharp tongue tongued comment. Jesse's thinking. What? <laughs> You've no, got no. ten seconds. In, no, in I can't. I can't because I already forgot what it was used to measure. <laughs> brine. Funny, the funniest <laughs> brine. Sludge. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so yeah. So amounts of brine is the Fahrenheit scale. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that we did was like look for for evidence of that, and we found some of that with um, a uh, a group that was protesting um, Slobodan Milosevic mm -hmm. and how they used humor in some ways to be cool to make rebellion and to make uh these protests uh sort of the thing to do for young people and like so on. funny yeah. signs so uh so like one thing they did for no. instance they leaked in their headquarters they leaked that they had um that they were removing a bunch of important documents uh and they were moving them to another location so they basically leaked this information they knew the government would come sure and so they had all these boxes that they were carrying out of the the office mm -hmm. and they were acting as if these boxes were really very heavy and then the police show up and say put those down they, they sort of lower them to the ground Ooh. very carefully unbeknownst to the police these boxes were empty uh -huh. and so you know they would pick these try to pick these boxes up and the boxes go flying in the air and everybody <laughs>, laughs at them and then you know sure. tell stories about how stupid the police are and so on mm -hmm. and uh you know cops are always assuming the weight of things wrong you know <laughs> They are. They are. I've always thought that was the weirdest thing about them. Uh, and so, the, so you know, oh, look they at this package over here. This one must weigh a good. Oh, it flew right out of my hand. You know, I think that I think the other evidence that that comedy is a thermostat is that if you look at like it's the Nazis in my room. and Stalin, they jailed people for telling jokes. They recognized how jokes can attack people in power people's change people's opinions well and with so on. hitler yeah. it was just more bitterness over his failed comedy career which i, I think he just didn't like his former rivals it was very bad he was he was awful he was the worst um no it's like you know he had the chaplain mustache it was just a hack it was a hack from the get-go um hmm i know there's like there's being worries that it's doing the opposite like the the, the producers and creators of spitting image which was a long-running 
satirical show in the UK. It ran from like the 80s through to the 90s. It was a, like a puppet show, mm-hmm. like it, a sort of caricature puppets, mm-hmm. and it lampooned every like all the politicians of the day. It went all the way through the, like a lot of the Thatcher era, and I remember seeing an interview with them recently where they were saying they don't know whether because they were incredibly harsh but very funny towards people like Thatcher, and they right. said they don't know whether what they were doing was harming her career or actually in some ways helping her by kind of making her Humanized. acceptable. Yeah, hu- or, and also even with the dehumanizing, just bringing comedy to her existence. Yes. and. And also in some, yeah, in some ways, uh, yeah, in some ways humanizing her. Like- yeah, I'd like to see that interview because I'm, I'm, I'm working on a, a paper right now. So I have a, you guys are going to enjoy this. I have a lab at the University of Colorado mm-hmm. called the Humor Research Lab. I hate that. And, <laughs> and the, the acronym, we, we refer to it as HURL. Uh-huh. Sure. Yeah. So in Hurl, we're we're working on this this very question. Oh, and the idea also was to whether, like, if if that TV show is making jokes at them, then you don't really need to properly criticize them because the criticism's already been done. And it's- how might yeah, how might humor backfire? So mm-hmm. we're looking at um, public service announcements. So we're looking at social marketing. Okay. So there's a very clear model of social marketing. You you create a TV spot or a radio spot that make that distresses people, and then the way that the, the viewer copes with this distress is they change their behavior, right? So, um, you know, this is your brain on drugs. You know, that's that was unintentional comedy, but that was supposed to be this really distressing message. Yeah. You're distressed. I'll stay away from drugs. So, I got the point. So yes. Loud and clear, Reagan. <laughs> <laughs> um, but if you look at, at, at public service announcements generally and, and certainly through history, um, you'll find that model. But lately... In order to cut through the clutter, in order to get people's attention, um, social marketers are starting to use humor. So they're creating funny PSAs. Get tested for AIDS. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Click it or ticket. It rhymes. And I mean, and even about really serious things. So in Colorado, there was a PSA about men's health and about suicide prevention and so on. And they had this this character, Doctor Rich Mahogany, who was. Who was playing a doctor and talking about this? Was things. he brown? <laughs> he was sort of like the guy from Parks and Rec who has the mustache. Sure, oh, Amy yeah, Poehler. Nick He's yeah, sort yeah. of that kind of character, <laughs> right? And uh, and so we had this idea um, that that could that may work in terms of getting reach, getting people to share YouTube clips and all that kind of stuff. Mm. But because humor is associated with these playful, non-serious situations, are you telling the world that? drug use that littering that suicide these are lighthearted things these are lighthearted things and so if you think about like political satire think about john stewart and and stephen colbert people become more knowledgeable they know more about government they know more about Mm -hmm. the news they know about all these injustices but are they not really moved to do much about it because this is just for laughs it's not really that serious thing yeah and the data that that we've been collecting seem to bear that out Hmm. There is that unintentional consequence. So it's this trade-off. Do I want more people to know about this, or do I want to try to change the way people think, behave, and huh. so That's really interesting. Yeah. So John Stewart is to blame for our generation being complacent and informed, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I think it has to do with people looking for affirmation and not information. You watch John Stewart, and you're like, damn right he made that point that I agreed with. <laughs> yeah. And you're not like, oh, that's interesting. I'm going to take that out into the world and kick some shit up. Yeah, there's there is evidence that that 
viewers of these late night comedy news programs mm-hmm. are more knowledgeable than non-viewers. You don't know if it's because just more educated it's people watch. It's not causing. Yeah, you don't know. Or is it that they, they benefit from it? Like you, you know, the news is distressing. It's unpleasant. And so a lot of people avoid it. Right. And this is a nice way to get your news and be entertained along the way. It is weird how they've tried to de-stress it by making the anchors more attractive. Is that the reason you think that anchors are hot? Anchors are hotter now. Yeah, look at that but, Tom Brokaw. I know. Yeah. Have you seen that guy? Yeah, oh, fine guy. You gotta get lost in those eyes. Um, <laughs> that turkey neck. Yeah, yeah. I would live under that, that desk. Weird um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> There's a tickle fest happening. Yeah, in Tom Brokaw. I'd be Jesse Broke Jaw. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, uh, oral I, sex. Oral sex. Oh, okay. That's yeah. what he's talking about. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Talking, talking Flatio. Oh, okay. Um, I haven't said anything in the last 30 seconds, <laughs> no, he everyone. He I not just want everybody to know that. Peter has not said anything. He has sat here. He is not smiling. <laughs> Students at Colorado Boulder. Uh, Colorado Boulder. He is not smiling. He is shaking his head and frowning at us. And he's mucking on a piece of paper in a red ink. I don't know what he's <laughs> doing. That's what he's doing. He seems to be scoring us badly I've right now. I failed something. Check yeah. minus, minus, minus. How many minuses can you fit on there? That's anyway, I would blow Tom yeah. Brokaw. Yeah. My point is, the... Blow? <laughs> <laughs> um, no more Japanese jokes. Come on, that's. Uh, um, uh, but that, but to me, it's more distressing. What they've tried to do to de-stress the news has made it far more stressful to me. Um, just the fact that it's like become trivialized because there are hot people and and the funniness. Does that stress you out that there's funny in the news now? And that's there's funny in the regular news, and it's like because even Fox is, thinks they're funny now. Oh, you know? Fox I mean, thinks they're hilarious. Yeah. They're really bad at it. They're awful. Um, Did you see any of that uh, Fox Fox's answer to the Daily Show no, show that they did? No. Oh yeah, I saw like a clip. So of it brutal. It was so brutal. Terrifying. Yeah, they did bad. like a right wing Daily Show. Yeah. So I, I'm gonna I, I'm gonna be the person for you guys to hate for a moment. This is an interesting anecdote. He talked about this at the show last week. I, yeah, I like this. So the so one of the things that happens a lot is there's this sort of belief that that conservatives Republican types aren't funny. And and a big reason uh, for that is you say, well, who who out there is doing good comedy? Who's on the right? And people say, oh, Dennis Miller and you mm-hmm. know this person. There's sure, not sure. much, but what does the Miller bot have to say about that? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, is Dennis Miller doing the best comedy? Because the last time I checked with him. He said, damn it, come on. Oh, I can't go faster. Uh, he said, this guy is so, uh, so nervous. He makes Marcus Aurelius look like Ferdinand Magellan. Bam. Yeah. We're laughing. Comedy. So, um, so I think that, that we can't, you can't take into account the professionals as an indicator of the people. Mm-hmm. Oh, I agree. Right? I know, know. I know some very funny, very funny conservatives. Yeah, well. and you know, because like, there's a system that that I think is welcoming um, to people who are more liberal minded, more progressive mm-hmm. in that way. And some of it, I think uh, Matt sort of alluded to earlier, is that if you don't fit with the mainstream, it actually helps to make good comedy. Uh, and also, there's a thing where like comedy is supposed to be. The thing that's thumbing its nose at authority. Yeah, the jester is like that was the so so we went to Peru. We went to the Amazon with Patch Adams, mm-hmm. and he he said that, you know the court jester is the only person in the king's court who can call the king an asshole, right? And there's so there's something about I mean he'll comedians. be murdered immediately afterwards, but he can do it. <laughs> do it. Yeah, 
comedians point out what's wrong with the world oftentimes like that's the heart of the benign violation theory there's got to be something wrong there and so the things that are wrong in the world make for good fodder why does that make us laugh when that's pointed out it's it's only when um it's only when you somehow some people would say magically can also make that thing okay right so you can point out these things that are wrong but in a safe way you take the thing that's bad and and make it okay. Is it the skewed justification that makes it okay? Sometimes it can, you know it can be any number of things. Sometimes there's could be an alternative perspective. So in your yeah. ho- homonym example, so one you're using a word one way, but it means something else, and those are connected. Shoot and shoot. Um, like when Barack Obama got to the White House, he put those big rims on his limo. <laughs> yeah, because he's in power, we can take him down, right? For, what? <laughs> It, um, the, he's like a rapper, you know? <laughs> but the, the big and pimped out Air Force One. Yeah. yeah. No. So listeners that so, haven't listened to the back catalog, if you go back to um, the last time Peter was on with Baron Vaughn, we spent the, the entire episode pretty much just on the benign violation mm-hmm. theory and the many facets of that, which is sort of your so, grand so unifying theory, theory. Yeah. of, of com- any, anything kind of falls into that before you got here Caleb and I were talking about uh, books on comedy because Caleb writes for Sullivan and Son and uh, he knows the ropes as far as as far as TV comedy it's an American right? television sitcom American Matt. television sitcom starring Steve oh, Burns oh I saw American yeah. television and uh, he pointed out that there are, are, are books that are sort of the, the butt of jokes about how bad some comedy books can be. Oh, yeah. There's this you know. uh, tremendous, tremendous legendary sitcom writer named Dan O'Shannon. He's writing on Modern Family now. He was on Cheers for a long time. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's one of the funnier guys out there. And he wrote this book. The name escapes me, but you should buy the humor code anyway. And it's uh, I've, I've browsed it via Amazon. And there's the the... The language is impenetrable. The charts are so unintentionally comedic because it is so damn serious. And what what I f- think is like the disjunction between what you would expect from a book like that, from a guy like that, and what's actually there, is that it's unintentionally funny because it's so sterile. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we we had a choice to make. Uh, so when when Joel and I got talking about it, so what what launched the humor code was a failed stand up attempt on my part. At an open mic night, sounds like I'm better than the comedy terrorist, but sure. not better I mean, than anyone else. For starters, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're already you're already one up. But uh, and so what I realized is that you need the humor research lab to answer these questions. You need science. You need experimentation. But you need more than that. You need to test these ideas out in the real world. Mm-hmm. And I I suggested that Joel team up with me and do this, and he said, "Sure, that sounds great." One of the things that he said is like, are you sure that you want to do this? And you are you sure this is the kind of book that you want to write? A travel log, mm-hmm. one that weaves all the sort of pop culture. And, you know, we we try to be funny. We're not funny as any of the folks at this table, but there are moments That's of great. comedy. We're way funnier that, than Matt. <laughs> that find it, that's yeah, find no, its way in there. Than and so because, <laughs> <laughs> because there is an expectation that if you're going to write about humor even if it's in a thoughtful, serious way, you should deliver at least a bit a bit of comedy. You should have a some laughs. A coupon for a whoopee cushion. 
<laughs> there should be something. It in doesn't there. have that. A few pictures. Yeah, yeah a few pictures. Um, I lost track. We were talking about. We're talking about right wingers and comedy. Right wing oh, yeah. comedy. I, I Thank like you very much. The most serious yeah. science book, but then the author's photos. You guys are just in dresses. <laughs> a lot of, there's a lot of pictures of awkward guy hugs around the world. It's like the corners, like a penis flip book. Right. <laughs> just right. Flick through the pages. Right. <laughs> so we um, so the so. So I like to say, um, so it's the same with men and women in comedy. You know, if you just look at, you think that men were funnier than women. If you look at just professionals, you think that Democrats are funnier than Republicans. If you look at, at, um, at professionals, but no one says that about medicine. Just because there's more male doctors, people don't say. Right. Well, there are know, people women. who would say men, who would say men are better able to. To think of scientific things than women, they're of course bullshit. No, no, yeah, it's easy to say it, but, but, it's, but it's not good evidence just because the people at the elite levels are doing it. Because there's a lot of other reasons besides ability. Do you mean right. professional doctors versus amateur doctors? Because <laughs> it sounds like you're talking about professional comedians versus just humor. No, and everything. Well, I'm just talking about people having some innate ability to accomplish. Surgery, <laughs> you know, learning what you need to learn to be a lawyer, learning what you need to yeah, do yeah. to be a mathematician, etc. So. But the, the evidence with regard to audiences, first of all, there's not very much of it. Mm -hmm. And from a benign violation standpoint, what it essentially says is two people can have a good sense of humor, but laugh at completely different things. Because their definition of what is benign and what is a violation, they'll be on different Dip parts of the spectrum. Because of their experiences yeah, yeah. and their judgments and their values and so on. And so this Fox Daily Show may seem to the to a to a John Stewart Daily Show audience to be just awful but if you are your uncle <laughs> if you're very conservative and you understand the jokes and you care about this stuff it can be a hilarious Mm -hmm. show. You know they canceled the show due to low ratings, right? <laughs> that was literally what happened. Yeah, but, but a lot of good comedy gets canceled. Also, right? I mean, this is a long way to go to tell us you bombed at the open. <laughs> That, that is I, I just dropped that in with there. Your pro oh, Limbaugh jokes. That no. is a good point, though. And I guess there is a filtering out when it comes to right wing or left wing comics making it through. In the same same way, like there's there's been a thousand bad articles and interviews and ideas as to why there aren't as many women in comedy, uh -huh. and it really comes down to like in my opinion, it comes down to nothing more simple than smaller brains, smaller brains, and <laughs> yeah. also. There's a bullshit idea that women aren't funny, so fewer women tr go try to do comedy, and the ones who do are quicker discouraged. So by the time you get to the top, there aren't as many women in comedy, totally so, so any, which then any, yeah. the vicious cycle and continues. There's a, and there's a lot of men in comedy in power who hold those stereotypes. Right. But if you which go to a comedy... for those women, those hilarious women to get through, and so yeah. women don't have yeah. these role models then go, oh, women are funny. And the lifestyle and all these things. Yeah. By the way, w when you're at a comedy club... There's a lot of women in the audience, yeah, you know, and there, and so that provides, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> that yeah. provides opportunity for yeah, sex, yeah, for yeah, good opportunity, yeah, good opportunity, and that's why there I aren't many women in comedy. I regret, <laughs> I regret making that, <laughs> yeah, hanging out with you fools in yeah. the green room. Yeah. <laughs> but you were saying like the, the actual study bore out that um, that that conservative audiences, yeah. So Dan Ariely and a and a graduate student took a series of jokes, some. Uh, some on the on some basically sexist kind of things and so on, but then also other more mild Jack Handy type quips and so on. Yeah. Showed them to a bunch of people. Also asked those people their political leanings, and they found I think which goes contrary to a lot of 
um, comics intuition that the the more conservative side of the the audience actually found those jokes funnier because yeah. they were about millionaires. <laughs> well, I, you know, I mean, which, which jokes found which jokes funny in general, like all across of all of across. Yeah, not even like you say, even like Jack Handy, Deep Thoughts, which we would all agree is great comedy writing. Mm-hmm. You know, of course. Yeah. So, I mean, but the point, I mean, to me, I wouldn't read too much into this except the fact that. Uh, and I'll say this is a controversial idea. I think that most everyone has a good There's sense no time of to humor. bring up gypsies. <laughs> I always think it's weird when every interview you do, at the end, you do this little rant about the gypsies. And then it's you un- say that the, the faculty at, at UC Boulder puts you up to it? And yeah, like, and this is like, it's strange. unrelated to the book. Yeah. You're just doing this weird gypsy rant. And, you know, chill out, man. They do steal a lot. <laughs> That's Caleb Baker. That's the point. Caleb Baker, everybody. Give his email address. Yeah. Well, don't jip me on plugs. Hey. <laughs> oh, oh, man. So, uh, but uh, the idea is that if you can find the right topic and you find yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the right comedian, you find the right, the, the right medium. All you have to do is hit that person's perfect combination of what is benign, but not so benign that it's just boring and not so much of a violation that they say, well, yeah. I never... And storm out of the room. Which is why I give every audience member a survey before the show, yeah, so I can benign? tailor the perfect level of benign and violation. But yeah. my actually, my that's a joke. But that is not a joke. My <laughs> suspicion is is that you will quickly adjust your set when you once you get a read on how far you can go. Oh, this these folks can't really take hmm. my joke about X. And you can change right? that as well. Like particularly with things like college audiences, I think it's quite easy to tell. Like if you tell audiences, particularly younger audiences, near the beginning, oh, you like you like dirty stuff, right? Oh, you like dark material, and they're like, yeah, <laughs> like you like you can get away with harsher material. You hate you homework, right? <laughs> it's stupid. Well, yeah, like, we hate homework. <laughs> well, every- here's some harsh truths about homework you're about to get. <laughs> yeah. This guy knows what I'm talking about. That's my favorite thing in a hacky comics act. Yeah, yeah. Just pointing to somebody. This guy knows what I'm talking about. One person what? agrees with yeah. me, right? One person agrees. Hmm. I mean, I think, yeah, I think every audience wants to feel uh, special, but I think you can change their, as Matt was saying, during the course of a, during the course of a performance, you can change their spectrum. Yeah. I mean, you, you can, they can readjust that spectrum. Like I, or at least change the context of what you're also, saying. So it they, falls into their already. That's what I'm saying. And the more they, yeah. the more they grow any audience, the more they grow, even if you don't do something conscious, the more they grow to like you. Yeah. Like so you, you get a lot more license. Yeah. Like yes. you would, ne- like you would save the harsher material for the middle slash right. end of a set. But this is why like, Peter didn't open with his hatred of gypsies. He waited until an hour and <laughs> 20 minutes till, into Waited until we we like him. We've accepted him yeah. as part of our fold. Did I say something wrong? <laughs> and then, I don't even know what and I then said And then he comes in <laughs> with his, <laughs> you know. Is joke? Yeah. No, he's, he, he, <laughs> he's burning a poster of Django Reinhardt. <laughs> I know. What's the He problem? shows up. I don't understand. Show, you know. But, uh, yeah, so I think that you guys are right. Like, so this idea of, well, so good comedy clubs are sort of designed to maximize laughs, mm-hmm. right? So you have this, you know, besides the fact that you have a mic so people can see you and hear, and I mean, hear you, but like even the design of it is, you know, good comedy clubs have these sort of low ceilings. Low ceilings. So get, the yeah. laughter bounces down. It's this contagious thing. Drink specials. Laughing. The alcohol. The, the darkness. Bachelorette parties. They're, they're, yeah, they're, yeah. Somewhat, they're like sort of already a bit aroused in terms of... Um, they're in these not exactly comfortable seats. Yeah, they're not seats. in giant lazy boys they're, with they're space between them. Pressed right? up against each other, and um, and they're in darkness. So when uh, when Matt makes his his fiftieth gypsy joke, um, and you would normally feel self conscious about laughing, 
if there's a bright light shining yeah. on you, in they dark, have anonymity. You some an- anonymity. Yeah, well lit rooms never do as well. Uh, yeah, it's the yeah. worst. And then gaps between you and the audience as well. Like any room where there's a sort of moat between you and the crowd. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. You have this connection. Yeah. Any time I forget to wear pants and underwear, <laughs> um, I've, statistically I've never done well, and I want to research that because I, to me, I mean, I think I think that would be funny if I were to, if I were to watch. I prefer comedy in a park. <laughs> yeah. yeah, middle of the afternoon yeah. on a Sunday. Al fresco comedy. Uh, yeah, on a blanket. But know. even one thing that happens when we were here in L.A., we we investigated who is funny. Like, what is the character, and who who is this innate? Is this learned? What does it take to get good at this mm-hmm. at this at this job in this business? And one of the things we realized is that comedians oftentimes the first thing that they say is something negative about themselves. So their first joke often is is focused on the self. And I think that that, um, that serves two purposes. One is, um, hopefully it's something that's a benign violation that gets a laugh and gets things moving along. Sure. And then it gives you the comedian a lot more license to point out all, you know, I just talk about what's wrong with me. Let me tell you what's wrong with you and them and, and the, the world. The and they, well, also, yeah. it's the one yes. thing that's guaranteed <laughs> not to offend other people. It's, because safest, it's, just, it's all on yes, you. That's right. Yeah. So, so in the in the humor code, uh, Joel said, "All right, I'll go on this trip. We'll do this worldwide uh, thing. But here's my condition: when we're done, you got to get on stage again. Uh, this time with higher stakes. Uh, at the Just for Laughs Festival, the world's sure. largest comedy festival in Montreal. And if you die, you will be murdered. <laughs> <laughs> and so one of the things that I did, I can't, I won't tell you uh, my jokes, but my first joke." Uh, did exactly that. And I said, um, I've learned that it's important to get a laugh right away, which is why I wore this sweater vest. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Yes. And sure. So, um, but you're not, you're not, um, you're not wearing a sweater vest. Well, it was a podcast. It's a podcast. Audio. It's Audio. Audio. And did you know that every word with the letter K is funny? I've heard something Fuck about that. this, that there yeah. are, there's a belief about... That's a very strong series sitcom writing room. Belief. Yes, I've heard this. Didn't that come from the idea. Sunshine Boys? Because that created entirely for like, it, I, did that exist before that film or slash play? Uh, I I don't know, but I kind of believe it's true. It feels like something Neil Simon just invented for a. Yeah, but I mean, then again, it's it sort of holds true like rule of threes. Like there are things that don't necessarily well, fall into the grand theory that are still sort of like, if not humor things, at least. Uh, contrivances of the format of stand-up that are th- like tropes that we all kind of agree are part of but there this- are generics like um generic the funniest to me the funniest generic restaurant will be it'll always be applebee's i'm starting to go dave and buster's a little more funnier than like a bennigan's or like a regional chili's like, max I mean, and irma's no. just the name just is the applebee's, applebee's you know and, yeah. and if if it's unrelated to the joke it's not a joke uh-huh. about applebee's yeah. but it's where something took place it's like yeah, the idea details that number right, no it's another... just a weird place to be and it yeah. you know i don't know man i mean certainly this idea of there are times where you want to make things more real mm-hmm and there's times when you want to make them less real. So, right. so I think that you know, there's these these kind of beliefs out there, but it's it's often easy to find a counterpoint to it. So, so one of the the sayings is that tragedy, excuse me, humor is tragedy plus time. Sure, right. And so one way, so this is basically time is a form of psychological distance. You know, as time passes, you you get farther away from a tragedy. It helps take it from being a violation to a benign violation but there are other forms of psychological distance so this idea of reality or hypotheticality so for instance having um a cartoon 
you can do horrible, horrible things in a cartoon that you can't do with live actors. Mm-hmm. And so that that's a situation where making something less real yeah. helps make it funnier. Walt but- Disney's pedophilia stuff was so graphic. <laughs> and I and I just think it's you know, it's like I felt offended. I was watching it. Was, but other times you want to make things the- more real. Right, so you want to add detail. You want people to feel like it just happened. It's your buddy on it's my you, way yeah. to Applebee's. I just broke up. Yeah. All these Applebee's kinds of things. Applebee's is definitely funnier than just restaurants. Yes, so, <laughs> but in some ways, because it makes it a more, it makes it a more vivid. If it was more emotional, gen- general, or farther no. away, distance or time wise, it would just be too benign. And I could, if it's not enough, Applebee's of a- is still traumatic to me. <laughs> but I'll, I'll say it every night. I'm a trooper. Okay. I'm doing it. He's brave. Truth to power, indeed. Yeah. He's not afraid of big Applebee's. No, I'm not afraid of big Applebee's. I'm not afraid of big neighborhood power. Yeah. All right? I want to eat good in, in any neighborhood. neighborhood. At a reasonable price. At a reasonable yeah. price. When I, want some, whole family. when I want some jalapeno bacon poppers. I, I'm, I'm sensing a sponsorship here. Right? I know. Sponsored by Gypsy Applebee's. <laughs> Oh, man. Don't say well, that word around Peter. About, I Gypsy know. Applebee's. Was that a burlesque dancer? It was. <laughs> that's where yeah. you have to steal the ingredients and I'll cook it for you. Hey. Oh, okay. That's too much. <laughs> that's the way that's gone too bacon. far. That's, uh, yeah. Thank you for proving my theory yeah, right exactly. here. Yeah. You've I'm gone too far. i Gypsy Twitter followers. Yeah. It's... They have to steal a computer first. Yeah. Where are they even getting that Wi-Fi signal? Why don't you triangulate well, it? Well, first they throw their out. baby at you, and then they take your laptop out of your bag when you catch the baby. You know they're a real ethnicity, right? <laughs> yeah, they're, they're real. They're, they're Romani people, definitely. Not in my they're world. Constantly facing ethnic cleansing by various governments. We literally did cross over into the violation. You're in the violation side. Yeah. So, so maybe you could put the Venn diagram on the... On the website, on the podcast, so we have no, these we've sort talked of about this in the podcast, things. though. We've talked about the, uh, we've talked about the benign violation theory. No, we've talked about, uh, we we've talked about the. Um, I think we've talked about the Romanis. <laughs> I'm serious, I'm, but like in a no, you and I, you and I have because it's fascinating. It's fascinating that it's a. It, uh, this is why are we talking about this? I'm, right I'm super pro uh, pro gypsy rights. Oh, how does what? a gypsy make an omelet? Oh, no. I don't want to know. Oh, no. I don't want to know. First, he steals two eggs. Oh no. <laughs> That, that's it. Oh my god! Uh, I, we, can we have more disclaimers? Like yeah, this is really the kind of thing that <laughs> that a um, that, uh, that the right lawmaker the person, on the wrong day. Yeah, are you? T- will play a little clip, yeah. like fifteen seconds of this podcast. Are and you, gets me. Are you tenured right now? <laughs> I, I do have tenure. Okay, okay I do. Fun. I think I do have some license. Uh, so I'm on the Twitter also, and occasionally I'll go too far into the violations uh-huh. you know, side of the of the Venn diagram. Sure. And uh, I have a, I I will quickly delete and I my patented and earnest apology is this is what happens when s- someone who studies what makes things funny tries to be funny and comments on John Bonet Ramsey. <laughs> I know, yeah. I'm curious. I want to see the Colorado. deleted Peter McGraw tweets now. I want yeah. to see what the, there's I, only a couple. There's one really I'm bad they one. That no, bad. I've deleted a few where I, I immediately feel bad. I immediately yeah, I'd feel awful. I mean, I think know? that like yeah, I mean, this is what happens like. You you put this stuff out there and you feel really distant to people and yeah. for some folks that um, like an entire race of people or it, or Paul uh, Walker for some offend. reason well, everybody people was, in air quotes that was sure. super close to everybody for some reason that was like and people like, really jumped all got, over that who gets to decide which celebrity deaths are fodder for jokes and which aren't for some reason everyone was like I knew Paul Walker that was just people too close flipped for some over reason. Paul Walker yeah. yeah I thought I thought the jokes were good to go like immediately on that no sir no sir no. I had I friends on Facebook who knew 
through one degree of separation. I know, dude. Like, I got torn apart over some Paul Walker jokes, yeah. and it was like I just thought we were good to go on this. Nope. Yeah, but you wrote R.I.P. Paul Walker. Hashtag nine eleven was an inside job. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> Listen, but anytime you know, you, you I can s- spread the word about Tower Seven, I try to do it. I'll <laughs> oh use a celebrity break. <laughs> this is, this is a lot different with without Baron here. That's enough Baron here. <laughs> By the way, Baron, uh, I actually use Baron's quote from the my last visit to probably science what was his quote he said i just you just explained all of my jokes it's, it's it really it's is a robust benign, benign 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 violation or violation 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 benign. benign you've twisted at the end so the audience has taken on the journey and then at the end they're made okay with it or made i do try see. to quote him yeah when i say that because and you've said like there's the seinfeld which is benign, which is finding the viol- violations in the benign and then there's the silverman which is make uh, taking a violation and making it benign yes that's right. What's the deal with gypsies? <laughs> <laughs> so you should be. So if you were to take the Silverman approach, you put this to a kind of upbeat, can't be cute song. Right. You're an adorable. Girl or you do a musical an about it. Yeah. Uh, Who's Silverman? Sarah Silverman. Sorry. So oh. she's she's adorable. Wow. She has her own so theory. Well, it's the strategy. I call it the Silverman strategy and the Seinfeld strategy. Seinfeld so, finds these mundane things and then finds a way to show you what is a, a slight violation about that mundane yeah. detail of life. A show sure. about nothing points out all the weird things sure. about a normal everyday life. And Sarah Silverman will joke about the Holocaust while smiling big and being a cute girl or something with pigtails. But yeah. I mean, it's not that simple. But that's the general strategy. So if you yeah, it's just if, opposite. You start on opposite ends of the spectrum and, and cr- you try to meet it, in that cr- in cross that, it to the safe zone. Exactly. That's sweet spot. Do you have that's a wood theory? From Andy Wood here? <laughs> the wood theory is just trying to keep a podcast on on track and on time. <laughs> it's the only theory of that. I, I think. know, buddy. How long is this thing? <laughs> we're at an hour and a half. And I know you gentlemen both have to run. So I'm, yeah, we're, we should we should wrap, we this should up. wrap up. I appreciate you both <laughs> being here. Delve further into any. I'm going to take responsibility for anything that was said that was a uh, negative. Uh, the uh, I'm sorry about that. Can I have a take two? I'll be clean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's from the top, guys. Mm. Welcome to Public Science. Yes. Let's do it over again. But is, you know what's interesting is the... Um, I mean, I'm joking about the potential for... Mostly joking for the potential um, effect of some of the jokes here tonight. Mm-hmm. But it does really point out the license that comedians have as the court jester, as the trickster, as the people speaking <laughs> truth but- to authority... Whenever the license affects others, though, it does, I feel like it, and I don't mean like as like a target of something, Mm -hmm. like I'm fine with making, for instance, like gypsy jokes. (laughs) No, I'm serious. No, because we're talking about humor now. So am I. Yeah, obviously. Fine with it. Just a bit too fine. (laughs) No, but I'm saying, but I'm saying like, you know, because I know how I feel on the subject or I know, or Mm -hmm. I will try to justify that joke by crossing over to the other side of that, Mm -hmm. you know, in the benign violation. Uh, while knowing the issues facing the Romani people in modern-day Czechoslovakia. Mm -hmm. But, you know, um, but when you are... um, The thing I love about doing stand-up comedy, I suppose, is because very rarely, and this is different on a podcast, of course, very rarely is someone else guilty by association. Mm -hmm. So it is weird when you're doing, like, a podcast with, like, someone that has a professorial position, and then you're just, like, (laughs) talking about Bukaki, and then you realize, like, maybe I shouldn't talk about Bukaki... Because you spent 10 years talking about Bukaki. It became benign to you. You became so... Uh, yeah. Well, not, yeah. You, were, you were vaccinated almost. To, or you have a tol- tolerance was yeah. built up as a comic. Your, your line keeps going farther and farther. Well, that it's, happened ever since my, my parents would make me watch those videos when I was very young. But, but <laughs> it's really fascinating. So when we were in L.A., we'd go to UCB or we'd go to the comedy store. Mm. Would you have a notepad s- out? Sometimes, yeah. yeah, actually. Well, Joel has this like 
pen that records everything. It's incredible. And so by writing words on paper, he writes words on paper, but then it also it actually audio tapes it at the same time. So you've been uh, secretly taping shows? Uh, <laughs> yeah, but we're not publishing it. Um, so, But one of the things, we'd sit in the back with all the comedians. And, uh, and when you're in this sort of analytical mindset, we started acting like comedians. Sure. So someone would say something, the crowd would be roaring with approval, and we go, oh, that's very funny. Right, which is so, a different thing. From so laughing. cognitively, you know that this is funny. Um, but you're not having that delight in the same way that you might have before. And what it takes is a much higher level of arousal. It takes a much more, you know, kind of yeah. challenging situation sure. to get that kind of. It's, it's absolutely a, true. Yeah. It's a little bit of a curse, you know, that it comes is, from I would doing say a little bit. Yeah. It takes a lot. You wind up, you wind up becoming um, almost like a comedy fetishist in a weird way. It has to be something very That's intense yeah. to like shock you into um an audible laugh that's why i have to watch more and more porn yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah so you burn out the arousal centers in your brain yeah. is that is this different it's probably it's, well that's the well, analogy i was making and then you just said it you just went for it you <laughs> okay. just put it right out there sure that's See what, what i was doing like. was i was you thinking about like driving fast and this you start you adapt oh is this you know, about paul walker <laughs> oh come on too soon professor yeah. <laughs> Uh, and on that note. Yes, on that note, RIP Paul Walker. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Peter McGraw. The How book is called The Humor Code. Yeah. And our listeners can find you on Twitter at... Peter McGraw. Just at Peter at McGraw. Peter McGraw. Yeah. And we'll have a link up on the uh, on probablyscience.com where you can pre-order the book, which will come out April yeah. 1st, fittingly. Uh, Caleb Bacon, you were about to go back to work on Sullivan's Son. Yeah, season three comes to uh, TBS this summer. Nice. Uh, so it's channel like 1,512 for a lot of people. <laughs> And I have a podcast called Man School, which is a little bit more earnest than this conversation we've had today. And uh, I should point out, Man School, uh, you might think from the title, it's like some sort of uh, Neil Strauss uh, game strategy, peacocking, negging. It's not that at all. It was when it's, you were there. Uh, it was. <laughs> talking about how you slay yeah. all that tail. Slay tail. That was a phrase you Would used the tail on the show. Slayer, yeah. No, it's where I, I interview uh, interesting men about their real life experiences, whether they be difficult or especially interesting. And so it's... it's oh, uh, thanks for the invite. So, Dick. Um, he said, he's, oh, he said interesting. Oh! Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> when I tried to speak to you at Ticklefest and you ran away, that was your chance. Well, I was scared of your booth. Well, my, my show's on iTunes and manschoolshow.com. I'm on Twitter at the real Peter McGraw. And, uh, also, find out more about my take on ethnic minorities. Yeah, also, at Kayla Beats Bacon or just use hashtag Building7. I'll see what you have to say. <laughs> Um, <laughs> Thank you so much and, for both of you for joining us. And we should probably plug again. We're going to be doing a live version of this show at San Francisco Sketchfest. I'll be doing other shows at Sketchfest as well, so come and see those. Come, if you go to sfsketchfest.com, you can look up our show, which uh, is February 8th at 4 p.m. It's Saturday, February 8th at the Punchline in San Francisco. Um, our guests we will announce next week. You're going to love them. And uh, as always, you can subscribe in iTunes. You can um, rate us there. That's always helpful. If you want to donate, you can do that at probablyscience.com. And you can also shop Amazon there, and, which helps us out a little bit. And subscribe and give us nice ratings. And come and see me at Dr. Grin's in Michigan and Grand Rapids in the, at the end of February. And also, if anyone on Twitter does know how to program it, oh, sorry, on the sh listeners that know how to program a Twitter bot, uh, Emily's friend didn't come through, so I still need a Twitter bot programmed. And also, Why don't you know we how speak with a bit, a bit, uh, Mac RJ, who just did our, our Dennis Miller bot, might maybe, be your man. Maybe, I don't know how he is on, yeah. like, he's good on HTML. Um, and also, if anyone is good on household wiring, I was trying to rewire 
a light switch at my girlfriend's house and there's a you can't just use this podcast <laughs> for anything <laughs> in your life like I gotta pick up dry cleaning tomorrow but I don't have time if somebody's swinging by yeah, a gallon of milk cold water you need a pet sitter for next yeah. week if any listeners wanna <laughs> what, are, what are you talking about household wiring <laughs> try to rewire it and I know we have techie listeners and there's a rogue wire and I don't know what it is and I don't want to it's the ground my girlfriend. it's the but ground that's the thing the ground from one Goes into the into the new I'm an electrical engineer with a Cornell degree. Can no. you will you just videotape the next I, time I texted, you work on that? I, texted Andy. I need he was stimuli like, I for the next to... hurl experiment. Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, Nah, can't. Don't know. Well, I need to see Why pictures. Why are you putting this on the listener? <laughs> you know. Also, if any oh. girls out there are, uh, horny and lonely, you might want to uh, <laughs> add Jesse Case. Our no, longest wait. episode ever, by the way, gentlemen. Our longest episode ever. I thank the gypsies. Yes. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you. This is great, guys. 